The Jewish Views on Jeremy Newmark on anti-Semitism and the Labour Party. Barbara Winton talks about a new stamp in commemoration of her late father, Sir Nicholas Winton. Oliver Annisfeld talks to Kate Fulton about the new online channel, JTV. But first, with a roundup of the Jewish news this week, I'm Vivian Krieger. Labour MPs have been accused of launching a thinly disguised attack against Israel during a debate on ethical procurement rules for councils. Town halls were told in February that they face severe penalties if they try and boycott trade and investment with Israel. New guidance states that locally imposed boycotts of a country are inappropriate unless formal legal sanctions or trade embargoes have been imposed by the government. And we'll be speaking to Jeremy Newmark about this later in the programme. The Justice Secretary, Michael Gove, has used a high-profile speech in Berlin to warn of a resurgent hatred of Jews in Europe, as the German Chancellor Angela Merkel confirmed her commitment to stamp it out. Both politicians were speaking at a conference aimed at combating anti-Semitism. Mr Gove said Jews still live in fear. Mrs Merkel said that many refugees from the Middle East and North Africa have grown up with certain stereotypical views and that Jews are understandably concerned. The Home Secretary, Theresa May, has led political and religious leaders in welcoming the introduction of a special stamp honouring Sir Nicholas Winton, the man dubbed Britain's Schindler. Sir Nicholas, who died in 2015, rescued nearly 700 children from the Nazis and organised foster families for many of them. The stamp, with a black and white image on it, is part of a set of six featuring British humanitarians. And we'll be speaking to his daughter, Barbara Winton, about the stamp later in the programme. That comes as news of a concert is revealed celebrating Sir Nicholas's life, which will raise funds for Syrian child refugees. It will be held in London in May. And finally, the Booker Prize-winning author and art historian Anita Bruckner, whose Jewish upbringing in London inspired much of her writing, has died at the age of 87. Miss Bruckner was born to an immigrant family from Poland and grew up in Herne Hill. She wrote 24 books, the most famous of which was Hotel du Lac, which scooped the literary world's foremost prize in 1984. That's the news, now the sport. Thanks, Viv. I'm Adam Bradley. Now, all eyes this weekend will be on the Peter Morrison Trophy quarter-final between Redbridge and Hendon. The previous three games between the sides this season has seen 24 goals scored, including a 6-6 Cyril Annexteen Cup thriller, which has been labelled Jewish football's greatest ever game. American boxer Zach Wallman made a winning return to the ring following an 18-month absence due to injury. The 27-year-old claimed his ninth professional win, beating fellow American Lionel Jimenez on points. And finally, Yossi Benayoun has earned a recall to the Israeli national football squad. Having failed to play in any of their 2016 Euro qualifiers, Interim coach Alon Hazan has called him into the squad for Wednesday night's friendly match in Croatia. And remember, you can always catch up on all the latest Jewish sport at www.jewishnews.co.uk. Thank you, Adam. Welcome to this edition of The Jewish Views. I'm Clive Roslin. And let's start, as we always do, with a look through your edition of The Jewish News for this week. 
Joining me is Justin Cohen, news editor. And I think, Justin, you're going to start by talking about Nicholas Winton. That's right. Start on the on the front page, as we always do. Of course, Nicholas Winton, Sir Nicholas Winton, died last summer. And the first thing, really, that came to our minds at the Jewish News was how we could possibly honour the man who had been honoured in every other way. He had been honoured by the Queen, by the Czech Republic, uh, and, and in every other way. And we decided that we were going to launch a campaign to ask the Royal Mail to launch a special commemorative stamp. Quite uh, an ambitious project, given that the Royal Mail receives hundreds of requests every year for uh, special stamps. But we launched a ca- we launched a petition, and 106,000 people uh, signed it to our our great surprise and delight. And this week, uh, on Tuesday, the Royal Mail finally launched that stamp. I have to say that we used the word finally. This was actually quite a record-breaking project in that. When this was first when this was first muted, we were told that it takes between two and three years before uh, a stamp could go through the full process and actually be launched. It was less than nine months between us launching this campaign and the stamp coming out. So we believe it's actually the fastest turnaround the Royal Mail have had in their history, apart from special British sporting success over the last few years. That's a fantastic story. And the front cover of, of the Jewish News, you have a big picture of him. Is that the picture that's going to be scene. That, that is the picture. That is an actual image of the, of the stamp itself. This image, uh, I hope, captures the humanity and the dignity of the man. It was taken recently, uh, well, actually in 2004, when Sir Nicholas Winton was went to the Czech Republic to be honoured with the highest honour that country can offer. And, and I think it's a very fitting image. It's one that uh, the family worked with Royal Mail to agree upon. And I know that uh, later on the show, in the show we're going to be hearing from Barbara Winton and Sir Nicholas's daughter. Indeed. Indeed. Now, the the next thing that I think you're talking about is the anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, or it's been accused of a lot of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party at the moment. Once again, it's another week and another scandal involving uh, the Labour Party and links to anti-Semitism. We, of course, have had the Oxford Labour Club uh, and the uh, resignation of its vice chair, Alex Chalmers, a few weeks back, accusing a number of members of that club of being uh, of having a problem with Jews. Then a couple of weeks ago, we had Jerry Downing, and he was uh, also suspended by the Labour Party over a number of issues, including his links to an article that talked about the Jewish question. And this week, it was the turn of Vicky Kirby, who was a former parliamentary candidate for the Labour Party, suspended by the party in 2014 over a number of social media posts talking about Israel and about Jews. And uh, this week, it turned out, uh, it was reported by the Ghetto Forks website, that uh, she was actually readmitted into the party and had popped up as the vice chair of the Woking Labour Association. And yet it's the latest problem, the latest source of tension between the Jewish community and the Labour Party. Just today, Jonathan Arkush of the Board of Deputies uh, has been quoted by the Evening Standard as saying that many members, I think he said most members of the Jewish community can't trust the Labour Party. And really, I think it's about time now that we hear very clearly from the leadership, very clearly from Jeremy Corbyn himself, that if there is any person that turns up that's in any way linked to anti-Semitism, there won't be any suspension. And this will be an immediate expulsion from the party and a completely zero tolerance approach. He talks a good game. I have to say, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, I don't believe he has an anti-Semitic bone in his body. But I, I think that he needs to show through his actions 
that he's serious about this issue and needs to take further action in order to back up the right words that he's making, the right sounds that his party is making. I think there have been some positives in this week as well. Uh, We've seen how a number of people have published articles in the national media. This has really caused universal discuss this Vicky Kirby story in particular, the fact that she could be back in the party. And I think a number of people have also signed up for the Jewish labour movement, both Jewish and non-Jewish, in solidarity at this situation. But I think, you know, it is now up to the party to show it's serious. So it's something of an ongoing story anyway. Absolutely. I don't think this is going away. You'll be talking about it some more, yeah. And I gather also this week you've been talking about Donald Trump. We have. Yes, so Donald Trump marching ever closer towards the Republican uh, nomination, winning again most of the states on Super Tuesday 2 this week. Uh, We spoke to Jerry Springer, who didn't exactly mince his words, let's say. He talked about how Donald Trump has given cover to racists, that if he is successful in his bid for the White House, he'll cause uh, America to come to the brink of civil war. And he says the first, yes, he's not not holding back here. (laughs) And he says that basically that Donald Trump talks about him being making America great again, but actually he's doing the opposite. He's causing the country great problems in its reputation. He says that if Trump comes to the White House, his biggest problem would be trying to handle the number of visas of all the Americans trying to get out. Uh, That's quite a thought. My goodness. Well, I think thank you very much, Justin. Thank you. And we'll be talking to you some more, I think, in the next few weeks. And all these stories are going to go on, aren't they? I think so. Uh, Yeah, Trump's not going away. I don't think the Labour Party is going away. Um, I think that might be our last story on the Nicholas Winton stamp, but we've been delighted to be involved in that project. Well, thank you, Justin. That's all we've got time for for this week's look at the paper. Don't forget you can pick up your copy of the Jewish News every Thursday across London, or you can read the e-paper online at jewishnews.co.uk. As we heard in the news, there's been much criticism recently about the Labour Party and the Jewish community. Jeremy Newmark is head of the Jewish Labour movement, and Kate Fulton started by asking him about alleged anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. The Jewish Labour movement has actually been around for about 120 years in this country. It was formerly known as Poilade Zion, a, an organisation that might be familiar to uh, one or two of your older listeners. Uh, we've been affiliated to the UK Labour Party for nearly 100 years. We're just coming up to our centenary. Um, we're recognised by the Labour Party in this country as what's known as a socialist society. There's about 12 or 13 of those. And that gives us a set of rights and privileges within the constitution of the Labour Party that enables us to be represented at a local regional and national level and be involved in the uh, day-to-day workings of the party. We're also strongly connected to the Israeli Labour Party and have an affiliation with them as well. So people who now are Labour supporters, traditionally Labour supporters, and they happen to be Jewish, they're beginning to panic. They're hearing a lot of anti-Semitism that appears to be coming from who knows where. What is this all about? What's going on in the Labour Party that, that is allowing these people to speak out and to say anti-Semitic things? Well, I think it's imper- important to start by recognising that historically there have been incredibly strong bonds between the Labour Party and the Jewish community of this country. You know, going back, you think of names like Ian Mikado and you know other 
giants of the uh, the Labour Party who were also centrally involved in British Jewish and, for that matter, British Zionist life. Um, it's also the case that um, certainly over the past 10 years, we've seen the growth of what a lot of people have termed new anti-Semitism, contemporary anti-Semitism. Do you want to explain what you mean by that? It's a mutation of the anti-Semitism virus that exists primarily outside of the traditional sources of anti-Semitism. So rather than coming from the far right, the extreme right, where um, sort of neo-Nazi style anti-Semitism was traditionally recognised in this country, contemporary anti-Semitism tends to uh, present itself in in debates and discourse around questions of uh, of Zionism, and it tends to come from a combination of of groups on the far left and uh, Islamist organisations. Now, what we've seen over the past nine to twelve months, in particular is a massive shift in the membership base of the Labour Party in this country. And along with that shift, we have seen this kind of contemporary new anti-Semitism that used to exist on the fringes and and the margins of of the left of British politics in uh, extreme left-wing groups, sometimes in sort of student union and campus environment, suddenly import itself into the mainstream party. But we've seen anti-Semitism beginning to creep in in campuses. We've seen that for, for a little bit of time now with the Israel Apartheid Week. What, what do we do about the campus? What's going on about, uh, is it beginning in, in the, the Labour, the young Labour voters? Look, I think that the campus situation has clearly deteriorated over recent months. And that's why the Labour Party has now announced that following an initial investigation by the student wing of the party, Labour Students, the National Executive Committee has commissioned a full investigation into anti-Semitism, in this instance, at the Oxford University Labour Club. That investigation will be carried out by Baroness Jan Royal, a senior figure in the legal world and former uh, Labour leader of the House of Lords. This is going to be a serious piece of work that will hopefully enable us to learn and understand not only what's behind the growth and uh, the specific problems that we have seen uh, in Oxford University Labour Club, but it will hopefully identify the trends, the drivers and and the motivators so that some lessons will be learnt that will be able to be applied on campus around the country. Won't it be like a Vicky Kirby? You get weeded out, you get suspended, and then actually you just kind of come back in again. The suspensions only last for, what, a couple of years? Well, I, I think there's a serious question to be asked as to why Vicky Kirby's initial suspension was an apparently light and tame punishment given the seriousness of the sort of racist language that, that she employed in talking about Jewish people. What and did I think she say? One of the, well, I think, you know, Vicky is now suspended once again and there is an investigation taking place and we must wait and, and see what the outcome of that particular Absolutely. investigation will be. And, and certainly we will be uh, working to ensure that, you know, where there is a, uh, a serious case of racism that can be proven, that no light punishments will be handed out in this instance. It certainly wouldn't be such a light punishment if we were talking about anti-black racism or for that matter sort of forms of sexism and homophobia and one of the problems is that anti-semitism doesn't seem to be treated on the uh, on the same level and um, again one of the 
lessons that I hope the Labour Party will learn and will be encouraging them to learn from that instance and from the uh, incident that we saw a week previously of, of, of Jerry Downing, this uh, sort of hard left individual from the Socialist Fight Group who was readmitted despite having a publicly available track record of horrifically anti-Semitic comments. He was is, the one that mentioned the Jewish problem. That That's correct. Is that... You know, on one hand, we have Labour politicians and, and Jeremy Corbyn included. And actually, to give him credit, Jeremy Corbyn does this very well, who have made important grandstanding statements about the need to have zero tolerance for anti-Semitism within the Labour Party. The problem is that when it comes to actually acting on those statements and showing us that the systems and processes and procedures of the party can make those policies real in every case over the past few weeks they've been found lacking so a serious piece of work does need to be done to bring the systems policies and procedures and processes of the party up to the same level as those uh, those grand statements that are being made by uh, leading members of the shadow cabinet the leader himself and members of the national executive committee but th there's another dimension as well that, that that i'd like to mention at this point and that's the growing problem of, of what i call anti-Semitism denial, which is that all too often when pretty clear-cut instances of anti-Semitism, like the ones we've just been talking about, are emerge in the public domain, we see key figures, and uh, perhaps Ken Livingston is the leading example of this, turn around and say, no, no, this isn't really anti-Semitism. They're crying wolf. They're shouting anti-Semitism in order to stifle legitimate criticism of, of the state of Israel. And of course, you know, none of this Vicky or from Jerry Downing is really about the state of Israel. Comments about Jews with big noses, comments about Jews controlling the media and so on bear no resemblance to anything that might be considered legitimate political discourse on Israel. And yet leading voices within the labour world appear happy to deny the problem of anti-Semitism exists and accuse Jews and Zionists of using it as a form of crying wolf to stifle debate on the Middle East. That's also what sits at the heart of, of the allegations against one of the uh, members of the Oxford University Labour Club, you know, who made a similar set of comments. And just as, you know, for the past 20 years, we've seen the growth of Holocaust denial as a kind of ideological glue between bringing together disparate anti-Semitic groups. So I, I fear that on the left of British politics, we're starting to see the emergence of, of anti-Semitism denial in the same way. Well, what about Jeremy Corbyn being seen? People had said that he was sharing platforms with those who were promoting blood libels. People who allow Vicky Kirby and others to come back in. Those are not just the individuals. That's That's the whole party, isn't it? Look, there's always a debate to be had around platform sharing and the kind of information that's available to an MP when they agree to go onto a platform, whether or not they should do their homework and due diligence better. But let, let's give for a moment Jeremy Corbyn the benefit of the doubt on, on some of that. I, I think that the, the more significant problem is that when a number of us in the run-up to the leadership elections highlighted the problem of a candidate standing to lead the Labour Party who described organisations like Hamas and Hezbollah as friends. Why did we do that? It wasn't simply about the politics of the Middle East and the debate on Israel-Palestine. And, you know, many of us involved in Jewish labour movement have our own issues with the current Israeli government and will be you know, quite critical of it within normative Zionist parameters. However, when you have a mainstream British or European political leader 
who is happy to describe an organization like Hamas, whose charter contains and institutionalizes or seeks to institutionalize what can only be described as genocidal anti-Semitism. That can only be seen to set the bar in a very different place. This isn't simply about opposing Hamas because of their position on Israel-Palestine and the other issues in the Middle East. This is about whether or not it's legitimate to ever describe as friends, representatives of an organization whose charter calls upon Muslims to kill Jews and effectively calls for Jews to be wiped out. And finally, Jeremy, do you think Jews who want to vote Labour should feel optimistic about the future or should they, are you telling them they should all sort of start thinking about voting elsewhere, voting with their feet? Look, there are lots of reasons to be optimistic. First of all, I think that in uh, in Sadiq Khan, we have a potential next mayor of London who has made huge efforts to understand the concerns of London's Jewish community. He's somebody that comes from a, uh, a Muslim diaspora community himself. I think that uh, he's incredibly sensitive to Jewish issues, Jewish priorities, values and concerns, and has spent a vast amount of time engaging with, with London's Jewish community. And I think uh, the possibility of electing a, a British Labour Muslim Mayor of London who is so understanding of the Jewish community is something to be incredibly excited and optimistic about. But there's another reason that we would certainly not advocate sort of Jews leaving the Labour Party or, or looking elsewhere. And it's this. It's where we started. There's a fantastic, proud, historic tradition of British Jewish Zionist Labour activism in this country. And if we disappear as a force and a group and a trend within the Labour Party in the UK, our position will go by default. You know, who's going to raise these issues from the inside then? We need to be there, we need to stay involved, and we need to keep fighting the fight. That was Jeremy Newmark, interviewed by Kate Fulton. You're listening to The Jewish Views, in association with The Jewish News. Coming up on this edition, I'll be here with The Jewish Schmooze. Today, Adam and I will be joined by Tony Honigberg and actress Kim Ismay. And this week we'll be asking the question, is history repeating itself with the rise in anti-Semitism? But first, as we heard in the news, the Jewish News has been successful in their campaign for a royal mail stamp to be produced in commemoration of Sir Nicholas Winton. Diana Turman spoke to his daughter, Barbara Winton, and asked her when she first knew about the commemorative stamp. Oh, well, that's a difficult question. I suppose I heard about it when I heard that the Jewish News were making a petition. And um, I became aware of it then. I must have been told about it. So I'm not quite sure when that was. Sometime last autumn, early autumn, possibly. Something like that. I understand. And there were, in fact, an enormous number of signatories to that petition, weren't there? It was, yeah, it was extraordinary, yes. We wonder if perhaps that's what the Royal Mail did to push it up the queue, as it were, because normally it takes much longer to produce a specialised stamp. Well, I'm sure it must have had some impact. I don't suppose they very often get petitions sent to them. But, of course, they were producing this British humanitarian set, and I guess once they were asked, they could see that he would fit very nicely into that set. Yes, indeed. He would have been, 
How, what do you think his reaction would have been? Because he was a very modest man, wasn't he? Would he have been pleased to be part of the six, as it were? I think as, as so often when we talked about these things, he felt that perhaps he was getting awards that were a bit uh, grander than perhaps he felt he deserved. And I know people always told him that that wasn't the case, but I think he felt that, that really what he had done, though it had been effective, um, wasn't particularly dangerous. And, you know, he did it with other people. And so, you know, to be singled out in that way, um, he felt perhaps was more than should he should get in terms of uh, honours. And when did you first know about what he did just before the war, as a matter of interest, well, you and the family? Yeah, pe- people often ask me that, and of course it's very hard to remember when you first heard of something, but I imagine it was probably in my teens. It wasn't something he particularly talked about. He wasn't particularly interested in the past. He was very much a man of the present. He always had a current project, a charitable project that he was engaged in and so he was always more interested in that but there were there were times when he would mention it or occasionally when he was looking for a home for the scrapbook that he had kept all that time that he would bring it out and we would have a look and maybe we would show it to someone who we thought might be able to help so it would have been around about teens, and, and I certainly know in my mid-twenties I, I showed it to someone, so that would have been in the late 70s. Which was around the time that Esther Ranson and the other kinder transport people came onto That's Life, or was it a little that, bit earlier than that? Yeah, that was 1988. Oh, it was as late as there was that yeah. gap, right. Yeah. Now, I understand, going off at a slight tangent here, but that there is a concert to be held in London celebrating his life and to raise funds for modern-day children or child refugees in Syria. Is that right? Where is that going to be held? Yes, well, we're having um, a concert on the 20th of May at uh, St John Smith Square. And yes, it will be a a celebration of his life. And the programme isn't fully finalised yet, but quite a few of the musicians who have offered to play have a relationship with him in some way. Uh, There's a couple who are the child and the grandchild of one of his rescued children who are concert pianists who are coming to play, and they're wonderful. There's some other musicians there also who um, met him and knew him, so it's going to be very nice. There'll be readings and all kinds of things, so we're really looking forward to that. And how will people get tickets? I mean, is it open to the public, in fact? It's, it's very much open to the public, yes. Tickets are available from the um, St John's Smith Square box office and they're available right now. And uh, we will all be there and a lot of his children uh, will be there and their families. So it should be a great evening. And just remind me of the date again in May. It's on the 20th of May, Friday the 20th of May in the evening. Barbara Winton there talking to Dana Turman. If you'd like to get involved, we'd love to hear your Jewish views. You can email studio at jewishviews.co.uk or you can contact us via social media. Find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash jewishviews. On Twitter, 
We are at Jewish Views UK. But now, Oliver Ansfeld has just started a new online TV channel called JTV, which, of course, stands J for Jewish. Kate Fulton went to meet him to find out more. She started by asking him, what is JTV? JTV is a new online global Jewish channel. And it provides weekly short, snappy segments on current affairs affecting Israel and Jewish communities around the world, Jewish food, movers and shakers, Jewish personalities who have been successful in a, in a particular field, and Jewish wisdom. Right. And why did you start it? There are three main reasons. The first one is I am a big believer in Jewish education. And I think there's a bit of a crisis at the moment because Jewish people in my generation aren't seeing the relevance of their heritage and the beauty of it. So that's point number one. I needed to find a way in which we can uh, relate to people and, you know, modern terms. Second thing is there's a real gap in the market for a high quality Jewish online media channel. They, you have low quality stuff, but not high quality. And the third reason is because I think this can provide a good platform for Jewish people and and beyond to learn from one another, engage with one another, and even non-Jewish people to learn about, you know, Jewish people and to, you know, often people can have ignorant views of Jewish people. And when they actually learn a little bit about it, then their minds can be changed. It's interesting. So it's not just for, for Jews, if you like. Anybody could, could switch on and learn something. Yeah, absolutely. It, it needs to have universal relevance. And just going back to the person, the man behind, behind it who started it, what's your background? Are you, are you orthodox? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I grew up in London. I went to Haberdashers. My bar mitzvah teacher was a bit of a, a guy who, was some, who inspired me in particular about, my, about being Jewish and Judaism. Then I went to um, that and a few other things along the way, reading more, going on certain trips, going to Poland inspired me to go to um, yeshiva in Israel. I went to an Orthodox yeshiva. Then I came back to study history in London. History is another passion of mine. Yeah, that's a bit about me. And you're a student now? I'm in my final year, yeah. And how are you doing it all? How are you fitting it all in? You um, yeah, can't even ask me this. Um, <laughs> just good time management, really. Uh, that's the main thing. Also, bear in mind that when we film, at the moment, we're filming segments in sort of two long days every six weeks. Hopefully, we can make it more frequent. But right now, that's the case. So obviously, there's a lot of planning that goes into it. But a lot of it's done, you know, through you know your computer and arranging it on e through emails and then it's only two days really you actually need to go into a studio yes for, for two where days. is the studio it's in east london we try not to for, purely for security reasons we don't want to of be course, too you can't say where it, it is yeah yeah absolutely and your talent source and your team how do you yeah. how did you sort of get all these people about you i mean you've done incredibly well ollie <laughs> just a lot of persistence really <laughs> i just really i just really believed that this needs to be done not only is it could it be done but it needs to be done obviously i care that this is success but i'm not so worried about you know the odd comment or if it's not going to appeal to a certain you know or it's not going to get a certain amount of likes or hits or whatever because i'm just you're doing it anyway i this believe that it needs to be done anyway and 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 the rest is in you know it's in the hands of higher higher beings Seeing you and seeing that there's no ego in this, it's a genuine, it's not about the Oliver Ansfeld show. This is about you wanting to actually bring something out there. It's hugely refreshing. I mean, most of these groups, it doesn't, it doesn't have your name in the title. It's got nothing to do with, with you as you. You just want to educate. 
Yeah, I mean, I do want to take a centre role on the... Um, and what the are Jew- you doing then? I, well, I present the Jewish wisdom segment. You know, I'm getting on different educators and speakers. You know, re- the first few segments have been more sort of letting them talk, but we want to do more, you know, Q&As. We're going to do a, a challenge the rabbi session with a studio audience. We're going to get some panels on. We're going to have a bit of back and forth and discussion. I'd also like to conduct a few of my own discussions. So I would like, you know, I would like to be very much involved in that yeah, regard. absolutely. Absolutely, as you should be. And the people who will be listening to these debates there will be from any spectrum across I mean you said non-Jewish people may be interested but maybe reform absolutely Uh, I mean this has to be something for everyone also you know non-Jewish people but what I'm very keen on and and what's inspired me about being Jewish is that I've found, as I said before, it's universal appeal. And that should mean, therefore, that anyone could watch it. Anywhere, you know, you ask me who I'm targeting. Anyone, any thinking person, you know, I'd say probably 13 plus, maybe 16 plus, you know, to get to that level. Any thinking person should be able to, I'm hoping, will watch it, enjoy it, find it refreshing, stimulating and entertaining. You recently had a launch at the Houses of Parliament. Yeah. Tell us about it. Uh, yeah, it was great. It wasn't actually my idea. Someone else suggested it. And we, you know, I think that it really encouraged a lot of people to take interest in in this. It's very hard when you're launching something to create interest when people don't actually know what it is. And we had, you know, I spoke, I presented it to a big group of people from all aspects of the Jewish community and beyond. We had Jonathan Janogli, a Conservative MP, Lord Jonathan Kestenbaum, a Labour peer. Um, We had Professor Akil Ahmed from the BBC, who's the head of religion and ethics. And Rabbi uh, Daniel Rowe, who's the executive director of the Shabbat Project in the, the UK branch. And I, I particularly wanted him because the Shabbat Project has really helped to create further interest in Jewish identity, to unite Jewish people from all walks of life who might never have you know, interacted with one another had they not been involved in this. And what did the head of BBC, the professor of BBC? Yeah, he's he's a professor at uh, some university. I think it might be Bolton, but he's uh, of media. But he's his main job is working. And they're very the encouraging. He was very encouraging. Yeah, he 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 was very um, concerned with a lack of religious, what he called religious literacy in the UK and you know beyond the UK. And he felt that anything you know that can help improve that in the modern world should be encouraged. Someone who is looking for Jewish television may get the Chabad television. Mm. I think it's also called Jewish. I think it's called Jewish TV. Yeah. How is your channel different? Our channel's different in a couple of ways. The first thing is just the spectrum of the people that we're getting on. Uh, you know, it's not just going to be a Chabad rabbi for a start. Although we will, we want to get Chabad rabbis on, but it's going to be you know we want to get all kinds so of people. different audience. Yeah, different audience. Uh, number two, it's a platform for not just ideas about Judaism, but Jewish people who have been involved in the secular world, you know, current affairs, all kinds of things. And the final thing is also, I would just say, you know, I'm not don't want to say anything about Chabad. I'm not making any comments on the Chabad Jewish TV thing, but. My goal, one of my key goals was this has to look really high quality and you know, this has to be something that people, the Jewish community, can feel proud of as a media outlet. Because I have had a look at it and it does look very professional, very slick. It's hard to imagine that somebody of 21 has done this. Where do you see yourself going forward? Where, does, where do you want to take it? I would be thrilled if this could be a media platform that is you know widely viewed and shared uh you know i'm particularly passionate about the jewish wisdom segment and you know sharing ideas you know things that have inspired me that are contained within the jewish tradition just being able to continue to expand our reach to inspire jewish people and beyond about the jewish tradition
When you're looking for interviewees or panelists,、mm. what sort of people do you want? Well, it depends on the segment. So, for example, on movers and shakers, we're looking for you know people who have been really successful. And and one of the things that's really good about the movers and shakers segment is that Jewish people often will want to give back to the community. They might see this as a way I can give back to the to the community. And and not only that, but then we can you know Tara, who's one of our presenters for the segment, she can ask him or her. Whoever's on to, you know, explain a little bit about what they, what advice they'd give to people who want to achieve success in the field that they've achieved success in. You know, it's a, it's a really this is a cool platform that gives us a way in with some high profile people. But in the other segments, just people that are relevant to the topic that we're discussing, really, that interesting, fast paced, dynamic. Are you going to invite audience participation? Oh, in, yeah, people as in、sure. the studio audience. Absolutely, we're doing we're doing a、um, studio.、Uh, we're already having a studio audience lined up、um, for the next segment. With、um, we're doing a challenge the rabbi with Rabbi Akiva Tatz and a, a panel with an atheist and a priest and a rabbi discussing is religion a force for good and other topics. And in May, very excited about this, we're having a debate between、uh, Rabbi Daniel Roe, who was at the launch, and Professor A. C. Grayling. <gasps> wow! On the question of you know. God. <laughs> see if I we think can I know which sides they're on. But yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. <laughs>、um, we'll let them fight it out. And how is it funded? Well, originally,、um, I was working with a BBC director who was very interested and wanted to, you know, get behind this. And he offered a crazy budget, which was about, you know, twenty-five k per episode. And I've managed to find someone else who I'm working with. We've really is a relatively very low budget, but we're seeking sponsorship moving forward. Donations. We can put logos on for the end of videos and things like that. But initially, I did I did manage because we secured a low budget to secure some family backing. But that's not because I wouldn't have been able to get it from sponsored donors. I just felt that that's more likely to be an easy task once you just get started, and then you can show people the product and show people what you've done. And will you ultimately go for advertising funded? Well, there is a way to monetize on you know social media, and if it's popular enough, then it would be great. It would be fantastic if we could do that, but、uh, right now we're not quite at that stage. I'm sure you will be.、Uh, please God. Where can we find you, and how can we how can we get to watch it? So we are J Dash TV.、Um, so the website is J Dash TV Show dot com,、um, but we can also be found. We've got a Facebook page. We've got a Twitter page, which is Twitter is at J underscore TV Show. And yes, we're using social media. We're online. We've got the YouTube channel, of course. Should be able to find it. Sometimes, you know, we're not. We're just starting to pick up into the Google algorithm. So if you type in J Dash TV and Jewish, you know, into Google, you'll find it at the top. Oliver Ansfeld, the founder of J TV, and you can find out more by searching in YouTube for J Dash TV. You're listening to the Jewish Views, and this is the Jewish Schmooze, the part of the show where studio guests join me, Clive Roslin, to discuss matters that you've been hearing throughout the program so far. And joining Adam Bradley and me today are Tony Honigberg and actress Kim Ismay. Now, the question we're asking, actually, is history repeating itself? Well, as we've already heard on the program, a lot about anti-Semitism. And the fact that Germany is beginning to show anti-Semitism again, and that's why I say, is history repeating itself? What do you think? Yes, I, well, I, th- I think history has always repeated itself、mm. from from day one, and certainly with I hate the word anti-Semitism, anti-Jewishness, anti-Zionist, 
even, I mean, you took the Romans and the Greeks, it was exactly the same thing. And then Christianity came along and did exactly the same thing. Every few years, it just resurges, doesn't it? You get this resurgence mm. of, of anti-Semitism. It doesn't go away. It, it just becomes quieter. And then suddenly there's a burst of it. I think the reason that it's there's an outburst at the moment is because, and I again, I hate to say this one, the immigration from the Middle East immigration doesn't help because we don't know who we're getting in. That's, that's a lot to do with it. That's why I think there's been the upsurge in Germany mm. because of all those sad Syrians who have ended up in Germany. And like you don't know who's with the Syrians. That's the problem. It, it's not just the Syrians that are coming in. Well, we don't know is, who's with them. Well, this is the problem, but then there's always a reason to blame things other than one's own inability to accept people who are other than us on something else. We can easily blame it on immigration, but there are times when it happens when it's nothing to do with immigration. There are group. there will always be, it's like you said, things are always cyclical. They will always come round again. And I think that you skip a generation and the atrocities of the previous generation become mooted because you only experience them third hand. You only read about them, hear about them. And they soften and dull because of the actions of Holocaust deniers and people who say that it wasn't as bad as everyone said it was. And when things go wrong in a society or there is a depression or there is instability or as you said mass immigration when people start panicking then the resurgence of hate comes up my concern though is it's not just in society it seems global to me i mean there are nazi imagery all over the world even if you look at... But it's um, all society-led, because what are we, what is the world, if not a global society? And it's not just anti-Semitism, it's anti-everybody who isn't us. And that's not to say everybody is like that. But there are people who hate the Jews, there are people that hate the Muslims, there are people that hate the but Sikhs. We, but we and, don't see Muslim cemeteries being destroyed. We don't see... And we, you know, there there are Nazi swastikas sprayed on on synagogues. That's rising again, like it was in the thirties. Certainly in yes. Europe. Yes. Certainly in Europe. Spe yeah. Specifically, and in, actually in France is, is very bad. At well, the in moment. France it always it has been, I think. Yes, it has. It, it never disappeared, did it? From no. France, but it, the, never the disappeared from anywhere. Thing is in in this country, anti-Semitism has uh, people have been very tolerant on the whole about Jews in this country, in my opinion. But the surprising thing is, has already been discussed on this program earlier is the fact that there's a lot of anti-Semitism apparently in the Labour Party, which I find quite extraordinary. Because <laughs> Considering the large number of Jews in the Labour Party, I do find it quite extraordinary. Which, and at one time, the Labour Party was the party that had most of the Jews voting for mm. it. Mm. Now it's the other way around, of course. Because Labour, as you say, was traditionally a, a Jewish... That you never had Tories that were Jewish, you had Labour that were yeah. Jewish. Well, if you remember, well, you will remember, Sir Keith Joseph mm. was the first Jewish Conservative MP. Yep. And now there are Jewish cabinet ministers, all from the Conservative Party. Mm. Yes. I, I, think, is, I think yeah. Labour, though, has changed because Jews' social standing and Israel's has changed. world standing yes. has changed so much. Yeah. yeah. We've, moved, we've moved up a, a, I hate quite, the class level. And, and, and the, kind of, class the level. kind of person that, I mean, I don't want to generalise, but there is a certain type of person that might vote for Labour might have certain socialist views, sort of slightly, obviously, left-wing views, 
Whereas Israel now, and Israel is obviously the focal point of mm. Jews globally. We all know that. People, people throw us all in together. But Israel is now, it's not this kibbutz-style country that used to be uh, a pioneer in socialism, really. It's now actually become quite different. Mm. And I well, think- it's a very, very successful country with everything, technology and everything else. Absolutely. And it's now not... Uh, they're not the downtrodden people of the kibbutzniks. Quite the opposite now, yeah, which I think that reflects in people's opinions towards the, and, the, and of course, as has been said before, uh, the public relations is hopeless. Oh, awful. Awful. I had this out with them years and years ago when I interviewed the ambassador of Israel. And the, all they did was shrug their shoulders and say, well, you know, we're not worried about it. And, and I believe they're still not worried about yeah, it. They really should be. It, they should Sorry, be. Sorry, they really they should, should be. be. Of course they should. It's unbelievable how bad their publicity is. I think a lot of the anti-Semitism comes because there's a, a lot of people are out of work. We're back to, if you go mm. back to the 30s, you had the same problem. Yep. People were out of work. They see Jewish people. They think every, every Jew has got lots of money and is rich. Yep. And whilst the, there's a lot of social out of work and they can't afford anything. Yeah. And again, as I say, it's, it's the blaming of other people who appear to be successful or, whatever, or for whatever reason... Because they look different, because they choose to live differently. Mm. It's a blaming of something other than us. I had a, a row, slightly off subject, but it's, it's, it's a similar thing. I had a, a very heated debate, let's say, rather than a row, with somebody about Polish immigrants. And I have a couple of friends who are Polish and they, you know, they work incredibly hard. And they say, they come over here taking our jobs. And you <laughs> want to say, well, first of all, no, they don't, because the jobs that my friends were doing certainly... I've asked a number of people and they said, well, they, we couldn't fill the vacancies because the people... Nobody wanted, nobody to, wanted to do them. And it's very, they, they feel it very shameful to be signing on or to beg or to mm. have handouts. What I find funny about that is that people say they're coming here taking our jobs, they're coming here signing on our what? benefits. What else can you do other than work or not work? Yeah. Well, really? yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and the problem with going back to the immigration question, I honestly feel in my heart that I believe that if you want to go and live in a country you should be able to go and live in that country. But I also think that we have to be cautious about open immigration where anybody can go anywhere without answering or without being checked as to who they are mm-hmm. and why. I mean, we, we used to laugh at Australian immigration laws because it was, it's ridiculous. You have to get this point system and you have to be a useful member of society. Yes, quite severe with, with but, then, but then they were very cautious and it worked. I couldn't go and live in France. If I went to live in France or I went to live in Germany, or I went to live in any of the countries, Spain, Italy, whatever, I would have to be able to speak that language and jump through a certain number of hoops before they would allow me to do that. And quite rightly so. And quite rightly so. But at the moment, but then it doesn't, the moment it's not reciprocal. Can go, you not, can go and live no. in those countries because they're part of Europe. Yes, we yeah. can, but that, without, yes, I can go and live there without, the without speaking the language. But I wouldn't be able to go and work. Well, I might be able to because I speak French and Spanish but but actually, and German. Eng- but it's not English, English, is, English is now the international language. and Yes, it is. But why should we assume that that's the right thing to do? We, we say that we want people that come to England to be able to speak a modicum mm. of English, yeah. to be able to integrate partially, if not fully, into, into the society. Then we should return that favour to a certain extent. That's, that's going off subject a bit, I know. But I think people get very panicky about... As you were saying about immigration, and yeah, they're worried about, and it. they're not working, and they think they see other people successful, and so they blame them instead of blaming the situation that has made them unemployable, 
or, or even, even taking responsibility. Yes. People themselves. don't generally people are not always ready to stand up and take responsibility for things it's that go wrong if they're else. their fault not everything is everybody's fault but yeah. sometimes but there you are know people what? around when it is stand their up fault. and count be well, counted because here. they won't get up off their backsides and go out to work sometimes they and won't. there are jobs out there you know there, there's lots of jobs it might not be the job you want but it will earn you a living or it will earn you but some this, money but this get, isn't really part of what we were no no it no, isn't sorry, it's, very interesting. it's the lead up it's the lead up but to it though that doesn't lead up to to anti-jewishness or anti-israel no, I, I, or anti well on the I whole going, it does because jews we... tend to be have a very strong work ethic and tend to be successful partly because of the culture of being pushed to study when they're younger. And it's always the joke that the son becomes the lawyer or the accountant yeah. or the doctor. But if it's that's your aspiration, but if that's the aspiration I, I for success, I think families still put that onto that, not necessarily to be in no, those but that's a joke. I mean, but, 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 to, but to go out to work yeah. and study and and learn and go out and find a job. Adam, do you agree? To a degree, and I think as. As Kim said, it's the starting point of it. Yeah, it it's, really is. Everything's traceable. That's yeah. not an. Exp- that's not a word. It is now. It's become a word. Yeah. It is now. now. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's not I, just just immigrate. As Jews, we we shouldn't be against immigration anyway. No, because we are immigrants. No. But it's not just. There are certain people within what I was trying to say earlier on. There are certain people coming into the country that are the, with these groups that are probably undesirable. But you've got the the element within the countries, as, as you were saying you know, the neo-Nazis in Germany that will create against the immigrants coming in. And Jews tend to fall on in, in the same group. Mm. You know, when they, when they had the problems with, with Shechita in this country, the problem wasn't with Shechita because we'd been practicing Shechita forever. The problem was with Halal. Yes, so they but lumped we, we, Shechita in yeah, with it. In with it. Yeah. And, and then yeah. we suffer yeah. because really? of it. Is that the root of the rise in anti-Semitism? I, well, I think it's part of yeah, it. See, I'm more inclined to think it's it's what happens in Israel because there's always a spike in figures of anti-Semitism. You, you see, now I look at it. I look at it on the other on the other angle that it's not just what happens in Israel. Israel comes on the back of of what's going on in the world. Or is Israel just the excuse, people? That's I think a, that's a that's very a, good point, actually. Well Israel is the excuse. That's exactly it. Yeah. As I say, well I said be. right at the beginning. Everybody has to find an excuse yeah. to behave badly. Mm. They, they want to behave badly, and all they need is a little crack open of a door, and then they'll push the door open. Because it's simmering under oh, always. all the time, isn't yes. it? Yes. It's, it's discontent. It's discontent. Yeah. It's lack of education and you know, lack you... of kindness. I know that's a very, oh, it's a very trite thing to say. We're not taught to be tolerant or kind. Thatcher's Britain. Mm. It, we're taught every yeah. man for himself. Yeah. If you're not successful, it's because you haven't pushed everybody over hard enough. Yes. Yeah. Do you really think that's the case? Sadly, I do to an extent. I, I do. It's a very, very self-oriented. It's horrible to think that, but I think you may I, be. Yeah. Some. Right. I mean, it's not. It, it, listen, it's very, very easy to generalise, and I think that on the whole, I'd love to think like Anne Frank that people are good at heart, mm. and I think a lot of people are very good at heart, and a lot of people, people aren't. Are. But I think but, there are lots of mm. malcontents, and they are always the ones with the loudest voices. Well, now, look, if it goes on the way it's going on at the moment, is history going to repeat itself completely? Are we going to find a resurgence of Nazism, of right-wing feeling throughout Europe, say? 
Well, I think, the world. I, th- I, think, I think we will see a resurgence. Probably not in the same way as it happened, let's say, in the 1930s. It'll just be a different, different way of moving. Mm. It's I, always been there. I think and I, and as I think, well, as I said, Israel is an excuse. I think Israel could also be our saving grace. I think so. Because what happened in the, in the 30s and 40s... We had nowhere to go. Exactly. And I, I think with Israel being there and with the power and the, the intelligence and the connections with other countries, I don't... I pray to God it doesn't happen again, as mm. everyone else yeah. does, but I'm not sure it can. How it will happen, and there is clearly a rise, I think will just become more localised. You know, Rather you know, than a, the bigger picture, as you, it is. You know something, if, if we could mm. fast forward and come back in 3,000 years' time and still be sitting here talking, I think we'd be having the same discussion. I think you're right. No, I don't. I think you don't we'd think be so? arguing why Rosh Hashanah's <laughs> late this year. <laughs> <laughs> If only Rosh Hashanah, we haven't hit Pesach yet. All I can say is, please God, that's the biggest worry we ever have to face. Absolutely. You know, I, I just, I don't know. The question really is, is not in 3,000 years, but in 30 years or yes. 40 years. Well, I think we'll still be sitting here saying the same thing. And you really do in 30 yeah, years? Honestly, yes, I really do. And, and it's funny enough, the thing you, you just said, okay. we've got somewhere, you talked about Israel, you said we've got somewhere to go. I don't want to go and live in no, Israel. most of us don't. But, I know what you mean, but, but, but I don't see why. Came, if push I, came to show. Yes, but You've I don't. Got somewhere to, but uh, no, to no. You see, I think this is that's avoiding the problem. The problem is eradicating the anti-Semitism, Judaism, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Rather than saying, "Oh, it's happening oh, again. I, think, I can go in somewhere else." No, I don't <laughs> I think don't. I would up and go. But I, oh, no. I, 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 it's sometimes nice to have the thought in the back of your mind if, if everything. Let's say it happened like it happened in Germany, mm. and you couldn't stay there. It yeah. was there or the gas chambers. Yeah. You know. Israel or the gas chambers. Israel or the gas chambers. And then everybody goes to Israel and then what happens? Well, at least it's a... Sitting duck. Well, at least it's a stopping point to think to go somewhere else, that wouldn't work either. No, it's a sitting duck. And if there was that feeling and there was that uprising of we hate all the Jews, so all the Jews run away and go, God, at least we can go to Israel. They all go to Israel. Then what happens? Maybe that's what they want. All the Jews contained in Israel, one One nuclear bomb, bomb, gone. Exactly. And that's that's why the diaspora is so important. It is important. Well, that's a very good place at which to leave the discussion. And a very fascinating conversation has been indeed. And my thanks to our guests, Kim Ismay and Tony Honigberg. And please do feel free to share your Jewish views with us. You can email studio at jewishviews.co.uk or you can contact us via social media. Find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash jewishviews or on Twitter, we are at jewishviewsuk. Now, with the Festival of Purim coming up next week, we would now like to welcome Denise Phillips with her Purim recipe. This is a really tasty biscuit recipe, ideal for Michelot Manot, called Carrot and Pumpkin Seed Savoury Biscuits, and it will really freeze beautifully, so do make it in advance. It takes about 20 minutes to prepare and about 20 minutes to cook and makes 24 biscuits. The ingredients, perfect for Purim. Nuts, seeds, and crackers. So here we have 100 grams of whole almonds toasted, a tablespoon of cumin seeds, 50 grams of sunflower seeds, 50 grams of pumpkin seeds, again of sesame seeds, and linseed. Four carrots, and you want to peel and grate them, and that's approximately 250 grams of weight, tablespoon of oil, three eggs. Now what you need to do is mix all those beautiful seeds together, the cumin, sunflower, sesame seeds, linseed and almonds, and put them in the food processor 
together with the grated carrot, oil and eggs. Taste it and then line a baking tray about 20 to 30 centimetres in shape with parchment paper and spread your mixture over so it's about half a centimetre thick. Score it into rectangles and then scatter over the cumin seeds at the end. Bake for about 15 minutes on 200 degrees centigrade, that's 400 degrees Fahrenheit or gas mark 6, for about 15 minutes. And then when they come out golden and firm, leave them to cool for a little bit and then cut them up. Thank you to Denise Phillips for her delicious Purim recipe. And if you'd like to find out more of her recipes, then you can go to her website, which can be found at jewishcookery.com. Time now for our Rabbinic Thought for the Week. And this time it comes from Rabbi Harvey Malovsky from Golders Green Synagogue. This week will be the fun festival of Purim. It's a day of celebration, unbridled joy, drinking, dancing and enjoying ourselves in the company of friends. The story of Purim that we'll read evening and morning is probably familiar very, very briefly. If we go back to ancient Persia, where the Jews lived under the realm of Ahasuerus, the king, the wicked Homan, the enemy of the Jews, came forward, bribed the king and a deal was made to kill all the Jews. Mordechai and Esther, the heroes of the story, were able to subvert his plan. Eventually, Haman dies, and we all live to celebrate and live again. And the day of Purim and the days around it became days of celebration for all of history. That's what happens on the surface. You see people doing all kinds of things, dressing up. If you want to find out what I'm going to be wearing, you better come down to my synagogue. But there must be something behind the scenes that is a bit more meaningful. It's not just a day of masquerades, masks, and drinking. In fact, it's not that difficult even to find the idea. Purim is about connection. It's about building relationships. The claim of Haman, the enemy, is the Jews are disparate. They have no central idea. They're not able to unify themselves. And in fact, if you look at all the practices of Purim, inviting people to feasts, giving gifts of food, giving money to the poor, it's all about ironing out inequities in society, building relationships. Because whatever you might see on the surface, and there are all kinds of divisions amongst the Jewish people, between us, we argue about all sorts of stuff. But the bottom line is we have to remember from time to time that we're capable of, of building a community together, overlooking our differences, and recognising that there's a lot more that joins us than divides us. So on the Purim, celebrate with people you know, give gifts to people you don't know, and recognise a very important principle. Anyone who comes along, stretches out their hand, give them something and make a better day for them. Thank you to Rabbi Harvey Malovsky from Golders Green Synagogue. And that's all the Jewish news we have time for. Thanks to our guests, Jeremy Newmark, Barbara Winton, and Oliver Annisfeld, Denise Phillips, and Tony Honigberg and Kim Isbay, who were on the schmooze. And of course, most of all, to you at home for listening. Thanks also to the team, including our producers, Alan Bradley and Sue Greenberg. You can always download the most recent editions of The Jewish Views by visiting the Jewish News website, jewishnews.co.uk, and you can search for us in iTunes. The Jewish Views is brought to you in association with The Jewish News and is part recorded at the studios of Jewish Care in London. I'm Clive Roslin. Do make sure you join us next time here on The Jewish Views. Goodbye. <laughs>